past few months or so, we've done uh, a series on the altars, different altars of some of our biblical heroes, and I want to bring it all to a conclusion today. If you, um, if you have your Bibles, would you turn to the book of Matthew chapter 23 and verse 19, be where we start from, and then we'll go a few other places like Matthew and Hebrews later. But, uh, man, I love the presence of God. You have come today ready to worship. And it just makes it so much easier, if you will, to preach and to lead when you're engaged. And I want you to just make sure you're ready to do that tonight as well. It'll be a great time. Matthew chapter 23 and verse 19 says, You fools and blind, for whether is greater the gift or the altar that sanctifieth the gift. In Brandon Buford's version of the Bible that I have not written yet, I would have translated it like this. You're ignorant. What do you think is better? The sacrifice or the altar in which you offer your sacrifice? And I would tell you today that the altar makes all the difference. For you can sacrifice and do everything you want, but if it's not on the right altar, then it's in vain. And so I want to preach to you today, we have... An altar. Would you just bow your heads and would you ask the Lord to speak to us? Let his word make an entrance into your heart. Father, I'm in your presence, I'm at your place, and I'm asking right now, as we open the word of God, it's the greatest voice from heaven that we have, and I pray right now that your word would speak to me, it would speak to those that are sitting here, even those that might listen or watch it later. I pray that you would let your word be alive, a lamp to our feet, we pray, a light to our path. In the name of Jesus, amen and amen. Hallelujah. Again, I'm glad each one of you are here today. And uh, we have uh, this next Sunday, I just, sometimes things creep up on me. And it just kind of messes me up when I realize that Easter is in one week. And it's just hard to believe that somebody posted, I don't remember who it was, someone posted the amount of school days, not actual days, but, but simply school days that we have left. And, and it's somewhere in the, in the almost like 20 or 22 days, something like that. And then it's going to be summer. And if it's anything like at my house, uh, June and, or May and June and July go by just like that. It's just instantly. And then all of a sudden we're in the fall. And it won't be too long before we're looking at, at harvest parties and, and Thanksgiving. And then we'll start opening Christmas presents. Just to kind of show you how short life is. What did the, what did the uh, Solomon say in Ecclesiastes? Life is but a vapor. And uh, we see that. So now that I've got you sometimes depressed, or some of you are really excited because you can't wait for Christmas like me, but uh, anyway, I don't really know where I was going with all that. Where was I going, Sister Buford? I kind of got off on this tangent that just sort of happened. Uh, Easter, thank you, Brother Peters. Uh, Easter is coming up. And so that means next Sunday we're going to have a great time. This church will be filled, and I'm believing that God is going to speak uh, very, very just incredible to those that are here. We'll have people that sit in these pews that may not come any other time, but they'll come on Easter. And I want the presence and I want the power of God to minister to them. We'll only have one service Easter Sunday. It's our Sunday morning service at 10 a.m. We'll be upstairs. The Sunday school department has prepared a a program and a special class downstairs that, that all of our children will be going through. I promise you don't want 
to miss it. And uh, I hope you've been inviting people. I hope you've been allowing your testimony to be given. And uh, we're going to have a great, great time. Uh, We started the altar series on Abel's altar. And we talked about the altar of first fruits. Don't give God the leftovers of your life. From there we we, we went to Noah's altar, the altar of thanksgiving and worship. That that rainbow that illuminated the sky. And he worshipped because he knew that salvation had come. Abraham's altar taught us the power of a sacrifice. and, And what it means to say I will not withhold anything. More than just first fruits. It's when we give him something valuable. Jacob's altar led us to a place of destiny and promise where God can show us what we have in our future through Him. Moses' altar, after that miraculous outpouring of, of victory where they held up his hands and Moses had to look back and say, everything I've done and everything I will do, it's not because of me. It's the power of God at work in my life, that altar miraculous. And then we, the last one was a little bit more on a negative note. It was Saul's altar, the tragedy of an incomplete sacrifice. When Saul should have killed the Amalekites and didn't. And uh, I, I wish I could remember who it was, but one of you astute gentlemen came to me uh, after service. And, that, and I don't know how I missed it. I, I knew it, but I just missed it. Because the one thing I neglected to tell you was that Saul was killed by an Amalekite. And so it made that sermon all the much more. Things you don't take care of in your life. Things you don't lay down on an altar and let God ultimately overcome them. Have a way of popping up later. Not just messing up David and his family. But ultimately it was the downfall of, of Saul. There are so many other altars that we could study. We could go to the book of 2 Samuel chapter 24 and we could look at the altar of David where where God had told him to do some things and it was there on the threshing floor uh, of one of David's men that that he was there and and he got threshing floor would have been a slight rise, a slight hill so that they could take the wheat and throw it on a hard packed surface and beat it with something akin to nunchucks. That's the easiest way I can describe it. But it had these flails that they could beat the grain until the chaff and the husk and the, and the kernel would be separated. They would take pitchforks and throw it in the air and let that wind blow across that raised hill. And all of the lighter chaff, all of the lighter husks, all of the lighter stalks would blow. And what would fall would be the grain. And it was there on that threshing floor that David said, I, I need to offer a sacrifice right now. He said, can I use it? And, and the, the man there said, well, here we are. I've got some oxen that, that helped me thresh. And I, I've got some of the threshing utensils that are made of wood. We can burn those. And, and, and we have it everything. Just you can have it, King David. And David said, no, a sacrifice has to cost me something. And David bought the threshing floor. And David bought the, the, the implements. And David bought the wood and the fire and the sacrifice so that he could offer something that cost him. I could preach about that a while. I could take you to the altar of Solomon, and I have preached on this. One of the most incredible pictures of sacrifice I find in the Bible is the fact that when they, they, they inaugurated the temple of Solomon, that, that vision that David had, Solomon built, and as they inaugurate that, as they dedicate that, 
Here it is, they're going to offer a sacrifice. But the problem was even though the altar of David, the altar of Solomon was twice as big as the altar of Moses in physical dimensions. Moses' altar was some 15 foot. If I'm not mistaken, uh, uh, Solomon's altar was 30 foot. It was big. But they had a sacrifice so big it couldn't fit. And so they hallowed the ground around it. I could spend some time talking about we need to get to the place where our sacrifices even outgrow our altars and we start hallowing the ground and we start expanding the places in which we sacrifice. I know it would preach. I've done it before. I could do that. But to be honest, when I began this series, I did not have an ending in mind per se. I sort of let it organically just kind of grow. And I remember I was praying. And I said, Lord, would you, would you help me find a way to sum it up? I didn't want to just find the last altar I could find in the Bible and end it there. I said, Lord, how do I sum it up? It was just a few days later after uh, one of the altars that I preached that Brother Farino came to me like he always does, except this time he didn't come with a sermon. Usually Brother Farino comes with a whole sermon. And I can't really preach that because he has, and, and I can't do it like him. But he brought me a tiny piece of paper. He said, Pastor, early this morning I was praying and God gave me two verses. And he said, I want you to go hand them to Pastor. And he handed me two verses. And I want to, by the help of the Lord, I want to take those two verses that was brought. And I want to bring this to a close. I want to bring this altar series uh, together. I want to preach to you that you have an altar. We have an altar. You notice that each one of the altars, each one of the previous sermons that have preached, to be honest, I, I realize that even though we use the phrase altar, it really was more about the sacrifice or the reason behind the altar rather than the altar itself. Once we get into Moses' time, the altar pretty much stayed the same. There were a few altars like David's altar that was outside the temple or the tabernacle. But in reality, we didn't do much talking about the altar. We talked about the sacrifices. And I would tell you today that the sacrifice is important. What we do upon the altar is important. But we have to be careful we don't neglect the altar itself. There are two vital parts to these altars. One is the altar. The second is the gift. And if I could once again quote from Matthew, it's Jesus' words. Now there's a whole backstory to all of this and I don't have time to get into it. And so I'm literally just taking one verse out and I don't like normally doing that but it's because of how important it is. What is greater, the gift or the altar that sanctifies the gift? What you place on your altar is important. But if you place your gifts on any old altar out there, you will do yourself a disservice because you and I have an altar. If you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to turn to the book of Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 8. And as we, I'm, I find myself drawn back to Hebrews we did a great series last year towards the end of, 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 of the year on Hebrews. And I find myself kind of going back in there. Let me read to you again from these last chapters of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 15 starting with verse 9. Be not carried away with divers and strange doctrines. For it is good that the heart be established with grace and not with meats which have not profited them that have been occupied therein. 
Look at verse 10. We have an altar whereof they have no right to eat which serve the tabernacle. For those body of those beasts whose blood is brought into the sanctuary by the high priest for sin are burned without the camp. Therefore Jesus also that he might sanctify the people with his own blood suffered without the gate. So let us go forth thereunto him without the camp bearing his reproach. For here we have no continuing city but we seek one to come. By him let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. That is the fruit of our lips giving thanks to his name. But to do good and to communicate, forget not, for such, for with such sacrifices God is well pleased. I would be remiss if I did not spend a moment to talk about the altar. You know what's interesting, and, and, and I don't have a problem with this, please. I'm not trying to say we got to throw it out. Sometimes we get a little too cute with our typology when we begin to preach. But I would tell you today that the church has developed a different understanding of the altar. Most, if I, before we did this altar series, if I'd have looked at most of you and I would have said, what is the altar? I would have guessed that the majority would have said the altar is the place in the front of the church where a pastor gives an altar call at the end of every service. Now we don't have one and I, I love them and maybe at our next church we will. We really do it mainly for space. But a lot of the churches I've been to actually would have altars in the front. A bench if you will. I remember just praying at old wooden benches at the Quincy Pentecostal Church here in De Quincy, Louisiana. Benches that were worn smooth by the tears and by the praying and at the end of church, people, some of the elders would sit on the altar because they couldn't get down to kneel. I've been to churches like ours that have steps and they do just as well. We see them. And, and please, while I, I don't have a problem with that and I'm going to continue to give altar calls and I'm going to continue to preach, we need to come to the altar. But to be honest, in reality, I can't find any place in the Bible that talks about those kinds of altars. Now again, don't take this too far. Don't try to make a doctrine out of it, but... I don't find anywhere in the Bible that Peter, James, John, Paul ever gave an altar call per se. I found that they just talked and people just threw their hands up and got the Holy Ghost. I don't see, in fact, that's been one of the things in my life as a pastor and as a preacher, Brother Hera, that I've really struggled with. Because nowhere in the Bible do I see anybody giving an altar call. And sometimes I'm trying to figure out how do I get people to come to the altar and finally God just told me, you can't you got to preach the word, and they have to make up their minds. There's not much I can do. I'll say, why don't, and, and you hear me, if you ever hear me say, why don't we all come to the altar? You know why I say that? Because no one's coming to the altar. Be perfectly honest. Or there's one person coming to the altar, and they always come to the altar, and my sermon wasn't truly for them. It was for some of you that were sitting there, and so I have to help you out. Let's all come to the altar. <laughs> Can I, without, without changing the fact that I want to keep giving altar calls, can I maybe show you how the altar needs to change in our life? Somebody has asked, you focus on Jesus too much, and I would respond, I don't focus enough on Jesus. 
because we have an altar. As we studied the book of Hebrews, this is what I was, I was, it just, it fixated me. The book of Hebrews, what is it? Jesus is better. Jesus is better. And so it is that when you read, we find that Hebrews leads us to the knowledge of this. And I don't quite understand how it can be, but it is. Jesus is not only the supreme sacrifice, but Jesus also is the altar on which that sacrifice was given. In fact, he is everything that the Old Testament typology reflected. We've already done it. I'm not going to do it again, but watch this. Jesus, he becomes uh, uh, the light in the the tabernacle. There There was a lamp that lit the tabernacle. Jesus is the light. In the tabernacle, there was a a table of showbread that the priests would eat and nourish them while they're ministering. But I find that Jesus is the bread of life. I find that Jesus is the sacrifice. I find that Jesus is the spirit that that uh, resides in the holiest of holies. We find that the veil that was rent really represented the flesh that was pierced. He's everything that that tabernacle was. He's the altar and the sacrifice. Of the sacrifices that you find in the Old Testament, almost all of them, they never offered the entire animal. If you look in Leviticus and some of those places, you will find that it was very specific. It would tell you what entrails, what organs, what pieces of meat were there. But invariably there would be other meat left over and just your normal sacrifices. And it was there that the priests were allowed to keep whatever was not given. Now, it was very specific. Later on in the Bible, you find that there were some priests that did wrong. They, they offered God the hooves, and they kept the T-bone steaks. And they got in a lot of trouble, and some of them lost their life. But the Bible allowed for some of the animal to go back to the priest, and they could cook it, and it sustained them. It was part of their tithe, if you will. But there was one sacrifice, the sacrifice on the Day of Atonement, that nothing of that sacrifice was allowed to be eaten by the priests. We always focus on the goats, that one goat that was killed and the other scapegoat that was brought out of the camp. But there was another sacrifice that was given, and it was a sacrifice of a bullock. The sacrifice of the bullock on the Day of Atonement was for the cleansing of the priesthood. And the sacrifice of the goats was for the cleansing of the nation of Israel. The blood of both the bull and the goat was to be poured out into a container. And there it would be placed upon the altar. And it would have been poured or placed upon the mercy seat. But it was the bodies of those animals that were taken outside of the camp. And they were burned outside of the camp. And it signified a removal of the sins of the camp. And of the nation. In just a few days we'll begin to really celebrate that Easter week. In just a few days our minds will invariably turn to a garden of Gethsemane. It will turn to to a trial in Caiaphas' house. And a trial before Herod and Pilate. Invariably our minds will begin to look upon that old winding trail called the Via Dolorosa. Our minds will walk that trail as we get to Golgotha's hill and there we watch as Jesus was crucified. But the Jews and the Romans did not even realize what they were doing as they led him outside of Jerusalem to kill him. 
They would say, we always do this. They would say, it's just a convenient place. But what they did not know is that they were pulling prophecies of old and they were bringing it all together much more than just he was wounded for our transgressions, much more than just he was pierced for our iniquities, much more than not a bone would be broken. They were satisfying the Old Testament day of atonement that they would have to go outside the camp to remove the sin. And so it was there as they fulfilled scripture. And while I realize that when I mix metaphors, it becomes complicated in one simple sermon. But could I tell you today, the sacrifice on Calvary was more than just a sacrifice. It also became an altar. You say, Pastor, I've never heard that preached before. I'm sorry, I should have preached it earlier. I should have caught it, Brother Perryman. But my Bible tells me in Hebrews, we have an altar. The altar is more than just what's here on these two steps. The altar is more than a bench in front of the pews. The altar is more than what you come at the end of the service. I would tell you today that in this altar you have to come. The altar of Jesus. So let's go back to the text that we opened. What is greater? The gift or the altar that sanctifies the gift? And again, I don't think I have to say it. I'm being redundant, I know. But it is clear. Without the altar, our sacrifices are meaningless. Without Jesus, our worship, our praise, our service, our giving means nothing. If without the proper altar, our gifts are meaningless, I could then also tell you that if you give on the proper altar, your gifts become priceless. It depends where you go. And so we have an altar. His name is Jesus. Let me read to you Romans chapter 12 and verse 1. Most of you could almost quote it. I beseech you therefore, brethren, that by the mercies of God that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind that you can prove what is good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Would you walk with me into Hebrews uh, chapter 13 and verse 15? By Him, by Jesus. Therefore let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. That is the fruit of our lips giving thanks to his name. And to do good and to communicate. And forget not for with such sacrifices God is well pleased. I've showed you, I hope I've done it justice. That we have an altar. That his name is Jesus. What do we do with that altar? So first I've got to ask you this. There's an old song, and I was listening to it today. I hadn't heard it in a long time, and every once in a while, you'll just get a, a, a line stuck in your head, and i got to go find it. But it's an old song. I've heard it. Yolanda Adams probably is one that made it the most famous and maybe heard, but it simply says, Is your all on the altar of sacrifice? Or what about the other song that says, All to Jesus. Hi. Surrender all to Him I freely give. Can I ask you a question today? I look out on this audience. I know each one of you. We don't have a guest in this place that I don't know today. 
Can I ask you this question? Have you brought yourself to the altar? Have you laid your life down as a living sacrifice? We don't talk a lot about that. That's not something we typically say. We say, oh, Jesus saved me. We say, oh, Jesus came in my life. And all of that is true. But if we have an altar... My question to you is, have you brought yourself? See here, now now understand, you and I will never be that supreme sacrifice. When Jesus died, Hebrews tells us he died once and for all, and now there remaineth no more sacrifice for sins. We don't need another sacrifice to atone for sin. But I think we could pull from some verses that talked about how willingly God gave God came, how willingly God became flesh, how willingly he laid down his life. I think I need to ask the same question to you. If he came willingly led to the slaughter like a sheep is dumb before the slaughter before the shearer, have you willingly laid your life on the altar? Not this altar. His altar. Have you laid your life down? Have you become that living sacrifice? I remember brother going to, to, to a, a, a college there at, at Gateway College of Evangelism and one of my professors, brother Littles, and he preached. In fact, he did our communion service beginning of this year, did a phenomenal job. And in, my, in the class that he taught on Romans, I remember sitting in that class when we got to Romans 12 and he said that if you really want to translate that verse appropriately, it says that you need to present your bodies a living, burning sacrifice for God. Like the burning bush. Burn but not consumed. We don't die. We're burning for Him. I ask you today, listen to me carefully. While Acts 2.38 gives us a clear picture of the work of salvation in our lives, cannot tell you none of that is possible in your life unless you first lay your life on the altar. He is not going to jump down your throat. He's not going to pick you up and throw you into the baptismal tank. He's not going to make you repent of your sins. There first has to be your your own abilities, your own life, saying I'm going to lay down on the altar. Why? Because you have an altar. I ask you a question. Have you let the Holy Ghost fire consume you and transform you? Because I can promise you, you can't be touched by fire and remain unmoved. If you don't believe that, ask Brother Perryman. Yesterday, I, we, as we were cooking, had one of them big old cast iron skillets, and I was holding on to the long handle part. I said, man, feel how hot this is. Well, I don't know what he was thinking. He didn't grab the handle. He just grabbed the pot. He kind of squawked a little bit. You can't be touched by fire and stay unchanged. Anyone that comes to me and says, I've got the Holy Ghost and I can look at an unchanged life, I'm not going to call you a liar, but you are. Oh, you see, if I have the Holy Ghost, it does something inside. It changes. It transforms. It moves me. Have you laid your all on the altar? Think about that. The second thing that it does is once you've offered your life to Christ, once you've given your all, because I promise you he completely gave his all for you, there's a few more things you can start bringing to the altar. 
Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 15 says this, Therefore let us offer through Jesus a continual sacrifice of praise to God, proclaiming our allegiance to his name. That's the the New Living Translation. Let us offer the sacrifice of praise continually. That is the fruit of our lips and we give praise to his name. Why do we call it a sacrifice of praise? Because sometimes I don't want to praise. Sometimes I want to grumble. Sometimes I want to get mad. Sometimes I want to just turn my back on God and walk away. But I realize something as a small child, and that is I can come to an altar, and I can say, Lord, I don't understand it all, and I'm still seeing through the glass darkly, and I still see the waves in front of me, and I still see Pharaoh's army behind me, but this I understand. Greater, greater, greater. God, you are greater. And somehow, in the praises and in the the trials, rather, of my life, life that sacrifice of praise comes up what do you do at the altar brother Perryman mentioned the the men's breakfast yesterday and it was a amazing thing and brother Keck pastor there in Washington Missouri did a phenomenal job of 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 doing both a, a lesson that dealt with the spiritual but also a very practical lesson and, and I enjoyed it. He talked about time. But he made a profound statement. He said that we don't serve God. We are called to serve people. And if you'll learn to serve people, thus you'll serve God. When I think of serving, I think of a waiter. God doesn't need anything. There's nothing that we can bring and give to God. But what God requires is how you serve. And watch what what Hebrews uh, says we put on the altar. Don't forget to do good and share with those who need. These are the sacrifices that pleased God. Brother Keck brought to remembrance the the two John 3.16s that are found in the Bible. The first one is found in John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever would believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. There's this connecting verse to that. 1 John 3.16 Hereby we perceive the love of God because he laid down his life for us. We ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. And whosoever hath this world's goods and sees his brother have need and shutteth up the bowels of compassion for him, how in the world does the love of God dwell in him? My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but let us love in deed and in Truth. Those are things you bring to the altar. We have an altar. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 23 leads us to one other place where it says we have an altar. There's not much in the New Testament concerning the altars. But Jesus said this, Therefore, if you bring thy gift to the altar, And rememberest that thy brother have ought against thee. Leave thy gift there before the altar and go thy way. First be reconciled to thy brother and then come again and and, and offer thy gift. We could preach sermons about that. We mention it often in communion and other places. But let me just pull from that verse. And let me show you something deeper than just the typical way we see that verse. If you bring thy gift to the altar and remember. 
The purpose of the altar is to remind. The purpose of the altar is to convict. Now, in just a little bit, I'm going to go back and slip into tradition. I'm going to ask you to stand in a moment, and I'm going to open the altars. And when you get out of your pew, and you walk up to the altar, and you stand or you kneel, you're not standing before the musicians. You're not standing before the pastor. You're not standing before anything else. You're standing before the altar of Jesus Christ. There he is. And you know, when I come into the presence of Jesus, I'm saved. I've been washing the blood. I know what it's like to repent. When I come into his presence and I stand in that altar, there must be a remembrance that begins to occur. I don't come to the altar to just fulfill the request of the pastor. I come to an altar to stand before Jesus. And the convicting power of Jesus, notice I didn't say condemnation. Notice I didn't say that he wants to berate you and beat you up. It's that remembrance when I come to the altar, I'm not just coming to a padded bench or steps. I'm standing or I'm kneeling in front of Jesus. That's the altar. And sometimes the gifts that I so want to bring to the altar, I have to leave them for a moment. Sometimes it's to reconcile with a brother. Other times it's to step back and make some changes in my life. Now, now what I'm about to say does not apply to a sinner. A sinner has nothing good they can bring to the Lord. A sinner could go and do everything they wanted to do and it still is not going to make them right with God. What I'm about to say applies to those that have been saved. Those that have been repented and filled with the Holy Ghost, been baptized in Jesus' name. There are moments. That's why Peter said, or rather Paul said, I would that men would lift up holy hands without wrath and without doubting. Can I tell you what the opposite of that verse means or what the, the flip side of that verse means? Do whatever you have to do to come into his presence with holy hands. Now, if you're a sinner, you can't bring holy hands. But if you've been baptized in the blood of Jesus Christ, if the Holy Ghost dwells in you, then you have the righteousness of God imputed unto you. That's what Romans teaches us. And so there are moments. I will tell you, there have been moments that I want nothing more than just to lift my hands and worship, but I realize my worship would be hypocritical, and so i got to put the hands down for a moment. Do whatever I have to do to make it right. Whatever I have to change so that I can come into his presence and stand before the altar. From the dawn of time, God has always required an altar. He's always required an altar to approach God. And today, that still has not changed. Jesus became our altar so that we can approach the throne. That's why Jesus said, now remember, Jesus was God Almighty as well as completely man. 
And that's why Jesus said, no man comes to the Father but by me. Not that we're going to get to heaven and there's going to be two thrones. Not that there's a son on one throne and a father on the other. That's not what that verse meant. What that verse meant, Jesus said, I'm going to have to go outside the camp. And I'm going to have to lay my life down on a cross. And there on Golgotha's hill, it's not just a cross I see. I see an altar. And so there is that I stand there at Golgotha, not to just transfix my eyes upon an old rugged cross, as, as, as memorable as that is. But I stand and I look at an altar. And that sacrifice on Calvary allows you and I to have access to God Almighty. Because we have an altar. Would you stand today? It's just a moment. I'm going to ask you to come. But you're not coming to steps. You're not coming to stand just because that's what we do here at Lighthouse. When you step out of your pew and you come to an altar, the altar you stand before is Jesus Christ. Now there's a lot of things about the altar that I didn't have time to get into. I could show you two men in the Old Testament that ran and grabbed hold of the horns of an altar because they desperately needed protection. They desperately need an answer. And I could tell you today, you can stand before God. You can grab hold on Him. And you can say, protect me. There's a lot of reasons people came to altars. And those reasons are still valid today. The difference is our altar is not made by man's hands. Our altar is not stone stacked on top of each other. Today, I come into the presence of God. And I remember. And I want that convicting power of His glory to come. And I remember we have an altar. Would you begin to come right now? Would you come before Him? Would you willingly place your life in front of the altar of Him? Overwhelmed by the weight of your sin, Jesus is calling. Have you come to the end?